0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to your first episode here on this Wednesday, Fantasy NBA Today. Simulcast, as always, this time of year on traditional pod channels and on YouTube as well. I am your host, Dan Bespris at Dan Vespers over on Twitter. I think a few of you guys have been finding me over there and I'll I want to take like 20 seconds here at the beginning just to mention how I'm fully aware that Twitter is a full-on hellscape most of the time, but for fantasy basketball you really do need to be on it. You got to be on it. News breaks so fast, especially once the season is in full swing. It breaks so fast that if you're just not there, you're going to get you're going to get stomped by people that are. How does this guy make these fast pickups? You'll yell at your league as it becomes more and more obvious that you need to be following newsbreakers on Twitter. So go sign up for an account. Set all the settings to hyper-private, whatever it is you need, and then just follow the, the key individuals, and I hope that I can make the cut for you guys. This is, of course, a recorded podcast. Technically, this is a recorded episode. Folks on YouTube, if you're tuning in, you're just watching me record a live show um, so if, if you have questions, you can throw them in there. I make no promises about actually getting to those. It, if it's something that kind of uh illuminates the chat we're already having, I might throw it into the mix. But if it's just like an here's my team out of left field stuff that uh save those for the uh for the mock draft shows. Also of note here, sports ethos, uh the ethos three sixty package gets the Brewski one fifty exactly two weeks from Today, that's a great place to start. You get all of the different fantasy passes. NFL, MLB, NBA, wager pass, DFS pass. It's the whole thing. Draft guides, rank charts, all the good stuff. That's all rolled up in Ethos 360. So make sure to check that out post-haste. We left off yesterday, as you may recall, exploring the 51 through 60 range. I did a very bad job because I put Tyrese Maxey on the uh, thumbnail for yesterday's show, forgetting, for whatever reason, that he was number 56. I guess I thought we'd get through six players, uh, and we only got through five. Oops. But the good news is, he'll be the first person we talk about today, and the five players on the docket for today's show are Tyrese Maxey, Brooke Lopez, who's actually, he'll be falling in ADP, but where he sits right now is at uh, ADP of, of 57th. In line, Jared Allen has been going 58th, Paolo Banchero 59, and Josh Giddy is at 60. Yesterday, if you're curious and you want to roll back the clock on that one, we talked to Zach Levine, Jordan Poole, DeAndre Ayton, Scotty Barnes, and Julius Randle. This is an interesting part of the draft, uh, largely because nothing is obvious here. Yeah, there are a handful, as looking back at yesterday's show, there are a couple of guys here and there where you're like, yeah, this one feels like it's relatively safe. Like, Zach Levine feels like a pretty safe play. And if you went back to the previous group of players, Nick Claxton, DeMar DeRozan, guys like that, feel like relatively safe plays. And if we're going to just take a broad, quick brush at the five players we're looking at on today's show, Jared Allen feels quite safe. Um... Brooke Lopez, relatively safe. Again, this is provided these guys are not injured. And then Tyrese Maxey is sort of a, uh upside play. Bonquero and Giddy are a little more build type of plays. But let's just get into it. We'll start with Maxey because, again, apologetic, Dan, uh, at your service here. I should not have mentioned him in yesterday's show if we weren't going to get to him. But we. Uh, it's what happened. So let's start with Maxey today. I think I did like a 20-second tease at the tail end of yesterday's show. Tyrese Maxey is a story of two seasons. So you guys will want to bear with me as we run this one back just a little bit. Two seasons ago, Tyrese Maxey had his, I think what you'd call, breakout campaign. He uh, burst onto the scene with excellent percentages. He shot 48.5% from the field. 86.5% 86.5% at the free throw line. He didn't get to do a ton, but because of the efficiency, which was through the roof, those are great percentages to get from a guard, and, you know, getting almost two three-pointers a game and 4.3 assists actually two seasons back, everybody was ready to kind of anoint Maxi the next big thing. He also played in 75 games two years ago. His 9-cat rank was number 57. 17.5 points, as we mentioned, a little under 2 threes, 3.2 rebounds, low number there, 4.3 assists, 0.7 steals, 0.4 blocks, so not a great deal in those departments. But again, good percentages and turnovers at just 1.2. There were a lot of people that came on this podcast and said that they were high on Tyrese Maxey last year. One of the things that's very hard for me when doing this show is making sure that my guests get a platform to speak their thoughts and not, you know, coming after them. That's not my goal. I'm not I'm not in this to try to make somebody feel foolish. But I also wasn't on Tyrese Maxey this past season. I felt like, I think he was getting drafted around 50 or 55, pretty close to where he's at this year. It wasn't, it wasn't the right time for a massive leap forward. And by all accounts, he did get a little bit better season over season. 1.83s uh, became 2.7. Percentages dropped a little bit for him. Not anything notable, but he did score 2.8 additional points per game. His assists were down because James Harden was in town. Steals were about the same, and blocks were actually way down this past season which I think is probably the category where when you look at Maxi, you're like, that's the one I don't really know what I'm getting. But where things look good for Tyrese is the James Harden situation. And everybody knows this. It's not going to surprise anybody. But if Harden is gone, Maxi gets more ball handling work. Some of that's going to be as simple as being the guy who dumps it into Joel Embiid in the post. And you know what? Some of those small fraction of those, will turn into assists for him. He's not a true point guard, so if you're looking at it and you're like, oh, assists are going to go from 3.5 to 7, no. Different guys are going to be initiating and handling the ball. Uh, They'll have likely Melton doing some of that, probably with a bench unit. You'll see Embiid just do a whole bunch of stuff himself that will basically be like he's the initiator. He'll just start in the post instead of, you know, pick and roll or whatever play they're running with a guard. So assists will probably go up, but not as much as I think everybody would think or hope. The real key here is just if you thrust a bunch of usage on a guy like Maxi, it's almost exclusively a positive because his field goal percent is high enough that additional shots made and or missed don't wouldn't really impact his value all that much. This past season, he ranked out at number 77. Again, part of that is because the field goal percent was a little bit lower. The free throw was a little bit lower. The blocks were a lot lower. That sort of a strange twist there to go from 0.4 to 0.1. But again, that's a big difference. Turnovers were about the same. Scoring was up. Scoring can go higher. It's sort of strange to think about it from this perspective because his usage actually... It stayed about the same, maybe just the tiniest bit higher this past season because his role was a bit more secure. But again, if you see Harden leave, Maxi's going to be a guy that scoops up a whole bunch of what he leaves behind. And that's not necessarily a ton of shots because Harden actually didn't take that many shots per game this last year. It's just having the ball, holding it, touching it. Because he played 33 and a half minutes per game this season. That's quite a lot. That's not a number that can go all that much higher. But for Maxi, getting drafted near 55, which again, about a round and a half, two rounds better than where he was on a per-game basis last year, it does wipe out some of the areas of possible growth for him. But he's also a big ceiling guy. He wouldn't get there with steals and blocks, I can tell you that, and he's not going to get there with rebounds. But if suddenly he's scoring... Closer to 25 points per game, which is, by the way, not out of the realm of possibility, because he went up 2.8 points per game this last year when his usage basically plateaued. He just was more of a scorer than a passer in that offense this past season, and it could go up again. Another two shots per game, go from 17 and a half, then 20 and a half, then 23, 24, something like that. Would assists come with it back into the mid fours? What does that look like to you? What other players have we talked about that kind of look like that? If the first thing that pops into your head is Zach Levine, you're right on the money. Because Zach Levine was at 24 and change points per game, four and a half rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.1 combined defensive stats, 48 and a half from the field, 85 at the free throw line. Maxie, his threes would probably be out in front of uh, Levine's, but his rebounds would probably be lower. And then everything else, almost exactly the same. Maybe Maxi beats him in turnovers? Hard to say. Where was Zach Levine last year? He was number 50, right on the nose. So if Maxi puts up a Zach Levine line, plus a little bit more in the three-pointer department, maybe he goes for three point three or something like that per game, then you're talking about a guy that's per game in the 40s. Where I disagree with the public on Maxi is I'm seeing a lot of people that are like, oh, he's going to be a top 20 guy. Top 20 is really hard to get to if you don't have some part of your game that's hyper elite, and he doesn't. Points would get to be very good. Threes would be very good. But he doesn't get defensive stats. If his free throws go back up to like 86, 87, and he's taking five of them, that becomes very good. But it's not like those guys we talk about in the top 20 who have these things that really separate them. Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. It's hard. It really is hard to get there. So you're probably looking at someone who, if things go really well, is more like, oh, I don't know, trying to find somebody in the 30s that parallels it a little bit. Maybe more like Desmond Bain. Bane a better foul shooter, perhaps, probably a little better in defensive stats. Maxie maybe beats him in scoring. But Bane was number thirty six last year at on basically twenty two five and four and a half. And then could you get Maxie to like mid thirties on twenty four? Three and a half and four and a half? Yeah, it's doable. If the threes are high enough. That said, I actually do like him. In the late 50s, if he falls that far. I think he's worth the shot that you find someone who goes per game in the 35 to 45 range. I think his durability is going to be better this year. And that's a direction that I would definitely recommend going. I like Tyrese Maxey a lot. I just don't think... I think you're getting a lot of... And I'm a little worried about the hype train behind him. If a hardened trade goes through, he might start getting drafted in the 30s. And then you've wiped it all out. Brooke Lopez is the next name on the board. Brolo. He was, as you may recall, a member of the Dan Vesper's Old Man Squad this past season because he was going exceptionally late. He's not going exceptionally late anymore. He's off a second round per game valuation this past season on super elite blocks. Very good field goal percent. Almost two three-pointers from your center spot in addition to that great field goal percent. Free throws that don't hurt you out of a center position. Rebounds that are not all that great. But he did score 16 points per game, played 78 ball games, and got himself a new contract. It's hard for me to see anything getting better season over season for Brook Lopez. So I think the question probably becomes, if things are getting worse for him, how much worse do they get? And this is where you have to sort of dig a little bit deeper. What did Brook Lopez do this past season that was out of character? The field goal percent was wildly out of character. Career 49 and a half percenter, but since he became an outside shooting center, he had never really been above 50, and then he was at 53 this past year. He got an extra shot and a half per ball game. Some of that was likely Chris Middleton being out. That just left usage on the table, so I would assume his shots per game probably go down. The field goal percent probably goes down. The threes would then go down. Rebounds I'm hoping stay somewhat similar, but could also go down if he's not playing thirty minutes of ball game this coming season. We don't know exactly how things are gonna change for the bucks. I think he'll still block a bunch of shots when he's healthy and he plays minutes in the mid twenties to thirty range he's usually in that sort of high ones, but that's another thing that could come down. he blocked two and a half shots per game this last year and that was a most I mean you an absurdly high number. He, hadn't had, he had 2.4, 2.2 his first two seasons in Milwaukee, and a lot of that has to do with how they play coverage defensively, but 2.5 is a hard number to maintain. So let's just assume for argument's sake that Brook Lopez is going to slow down in almost every statistical category. How much would he have to slow down to go from where he was at 22 all the way down past where he's getting drafted right now, which is in the late 50s? The answer is quite a lot. There's a pretty good gap between 22 and late 50s. Remember, we talk about how the guys are separated by more near the top than they are near the bottom. So as you fall, it becomes easier to fall faster. But if he's blocking close to two shots per game, the other example of someone in that range was Walker Kessler, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Rudy Gobert. Actually, it was only a 1.4 this last year. What would Brooke Lopez have to do to stay in front of that pack? well, not be a tank free throw guy, which feels like a pretty doable ask for him. Uh, I'm going to compare him to Mitchell Robinson. He won't keep up with Mitch in field goal percent, but he'll likely beat him in scoring, maybe tie him up in blocks, beat him in free throws, definitely beat him in threes. So yeah, I feel like Brook Lopez hanging out in the 50 range is very doable. And the problem here, while I'm sort of right in the middle of saying... While I'm right in the middle of saying that Lopez, I do like him as someone that probably can get past his ADP here at at uh, if we're talking sequential ADP, he's number 57. I don't think there's the same like blow past it upside we had last year because he was going in the 10th, 11th round last season. He was on a bunch of my teams because of that. I still, I still believe in Brook Lopez. I just cannot imagine him getting back into the 20s this season. It's too much to ask. He was so, so good this past year, although it's also worth pointing out that he, I mean, there were stretches in there where he slowed down a little bit. I guess overall, he pretty much held steady, um, and he was blocking two and a half shots per game pretty much all season long. He closed the year strong, opened fast, had a sort of dog days dip, and then closed really hard. It was just a remarkable season in every respect. Last 30 games, he was almost a first-rounder, shooting 58% from the field. These types of things, they're just not likely to hold up. So am I saying don't draft Brook Lopez at 57? No, I'm definitely not saying that, because I think at this spot, he probably still gets very close or potentially beats his ADP. It's just not the upside play of someone like a Tyrese Maxey, or frankly, and I know this is going to sound weird, Jared Allen right behind him, who is falling in drafts? Actually, Brooke Lopez tends to go a little bit later than this as well. let uh, pull the ADPs back up for everybody. Both those guys have an ADP of around 59. I've seen Jared Allen fall into the 60s regularly. Brooke Lopez's pre rank up dropped into the 60s, so he probably goes a little bit later now. So maybe you can wait on Brooke, see where he starts to go with the new Yahoo board. But for Jared Allen, this is generally where he's going. And like, this is one of the safest 60-range, old-fashioned-y kind of centers floating around out there. Jared Allen is not going to blow you away with anything. He's not going to duplicate the monster numbers he was putting up before Evan Mobley became such a big part of what the Cavs were doing. But does it matter? I'm not sure it matters. Jared All- uh, Allen last year was number 33 on a per-game basis. Some of that's the low turnovers, yes, it's true, but, you know, 9-cat, 14 points, 10 boards, 2 defensive stats, great field goal percent at 64, free throw number that doesn't completely ruin your team. He's just an old-fashioned center you can grab, near 60, that will probably be better than 60 on a per-game basis. Now, There are some fears about whether or not he can get near 70 games played. He got to 68 last year, and that felt like a pretty good number for him. So I I think you're probably looking at that. Um, I don't know. If you came right down to it, we're talking about Jared Allen versus Brooke Lopez here. I'm totally fine with both of them. Jared's the way you go if you want the extra field goal percent bump. Brooke Lopez is the direction you go if you want the higher blocks bump at this point. But either way... You've got great center options just chilling there in the late 50s. Mid-show reminder, and I don't even think I did this at the front end of the show. If you're hanging out, if you're watching after the fact, or if you're listening, which I guess is always after the fact because, you know, recorded item, then you have to upload it. Please like and subscribe. I can only ask so many times, and yet I will continue to ask. Like and subscribe to everything we're doing here at Sports Ethos. I'm going to keep trying to do as many shows as humanly possible in the lead-up to the season. It'll go down to, of course, one show per weekday once the season is in full swing. But for now, do take a moment to find me over on social media at Dan DanBespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And hit the thumbs up, subscribe, and or drop a review on what we're doing here. It would mean the world to me. Let's talk Paolo. He's next on the board here. Paolo Boncaro at 65 is the pre-rank, but his ADP is at 59. Because he's a points league darling. Paolo Boncaro had a bad field goal percent, a bad free throw percent, and almost three turnovers per game last year. 20 points, seven boards, almost four assists, was pretty good. The threes were on the low side. Steals and blocks were not all that impressive either. So, if we're talking 9-cat, which we do on this show, Paolo didn't make the top 200. Yeesh. I know. He's a hard player to... In my opinion, he's a hard player to sell. Because even if you were punting both field goal and free throw percent, he still wasn't inside the top 100. This is hard to visualize, Let's punt turnovers, two and see where he ends up at that point. Now he's number 77. So he's still not at this ADP. And for 9-cat, you're not coming anywhere near Paolo at this juncture. 8-cat, you could make a play on it if you were punting one of the two percentages. And then you're kind of hoping... So, like, his... Of his percentages, the one that had the larger negative impact was field goal, just barely. But let's say you're punting free throw, because maybe you expect his field goal percent will get better this coming year as he becomes more of an attacker or whatever. If you're just punting free throws, and you're in an 8-cat league, last year his numbers would have had him sitting just outside the top 100. So then you're thinking, okay, I'm going to assume that there's gains made in field goal percent. That's how he pushes himself inside the top 100 uh, does the usage change all that much? I don't know. I mean, they have a bunch of guys that they're trying to sort of feed the rock to in Orlando. But that's how he goes from 109, you know, shooting 42.5% last year. Maybe that goes up to like 445 half. That would push him probably into the 80s. Still a little ways to go, but at least you could kind of make the argument of, okay, well, this guy fits that unique build. I'm... I got to simplify things because ultimately my job is to try to simplify simplify fantasy basketball for you guys. And in that scenario, unless you have a very unique needle-threading build for Bancaro, which is like 8-cat punt free throw, you probably don't want to bother with it. You probably don't want to bother with the pick. There are simply better options at this juncture than to bet on Bonquero to make a big jump forward in field goal percent. Because that's basically what's happening. I'm giving up. I'm not attacking free throws. I'm not trying to win turnovers at all. Uh, and I need him to make a jump and field goal. And so if that happens, great. Then he like gets to where I'm drafting him. But basically, he's got this high ADP because of points leagues. Points leagues, he was fairly useful last year. And you can understand folks expecting him to take some kind of step forward in the counting stats this year because he was a rookie, because you know he's got a year under his belt in the NBA. It all makes sense as to why folks would think he'll take a step forward. But for 9Cat, it's not going to be enough. There's almost no way that he gets to this ADP in 9Cat. Almost no way. As we just talked about, you can kind of get him there by twisting yourself into different shapes. But I just don't think it's worth it. And frankly, again, like, let's say Tyrese Maxey is off the board, so the pick comes to you at 59 or 60, and you're looking at Boncaro, you're looking at Josh Giddy, and if we flip over and look at who the next chunk of players are, Shengun, Gobert, Jalen Williams, Bradley Beal, Cam Johnson, in my eyes, almost every other player, yeah, in fact, every other player I just listed was better last year in 9-cat. And I would also argue that one, two, three, four probably of those six guys are dudes you could make a decent case, have an upside built in that Paolo doesn't really have given his stat set limitations and the situation he's in in Orlando, which is that guys like Franz Wagner are also trying to take big steps forward. Markel Fultz appears to be the guy to kind of lock in that point guard spot. They just have a lot going on there. Let's talk Josh Giddey, who uh, is a much easier player to figure out how he fits in things. Josh Giddy was uh, pretty average in scoring last year, but great in rebounds for a guard. Solid in assists. Uh, didn't really hit three-pointers. Didn't do a ton defensively. Decent field goal percent. Kind of bad free throw number, but didn't really get there. And then the turnovers were a bit on the high side as well. But... The thing about Giddy is when you look at him, you don't have to look that hard to figure out how he would make sense on a roster. He was also, by the way, a tiny bit better the second half of the season. Rebounds and assists were a little bit higher. Uh, field goal percent was a tiny bit higher. Scoring was a little bit higher. Seems like someone that's been kind of steadily improving. Although, you know, weird sample sizes can kind of flex numbers around. The simple answer here is with Giddy, you're probably not attacking turnovers all that hard either. He's kind of a punt free throw guy. And I realize, so there's a lot more that goes into a sentence like that. When you say someone is a punt free throw guy, it doesn't necessarily mean that they by themselves will lose you a category. It's just that these... A player like Josh, a guard, effectively, if you're feeling someone with a guard slot on your team, you're generally expecting those guys to help your free throw number. And so if they're not, it changes the way you have to attack small forward, power forward, and center minutes. So again, to say he's a punt free throw guy, it doesn't mean he's that horrible there. It just means that he's not providing you the boost that you'd usually need from that category. Ultimately, he's more of an 8-cat guy than a 9-cat guy. No question about that. His scoring sort of isn't high enough to make up for the fact that steals, blocks, and threes are pretty low. But he's also a guy where you're like, okay, well, if a few things break right and he takes a step forward in this, that, or the other thing, then you could see how maybe he gets there. Personally, I'm probably not doing the Josh Giddy thing at pick 60. There are simply too many players still floating around that have, in my eye, way higher upside in nine-category formats. I get it. Giddy has some more upside in 8-cat. He's got some more upside if you're not worried about free throw percent. But if you're 9-cat, and we talked about this just a second ago, he was 113 last year. Even a step forward doesn't get him to 60 in 9-cat. A step forward gets him to you know, 75, 85 range. Two steps forward gets him to 60, and those two steps would have to be, I would assume, free throw becoming a non-negative number, And turnovers, dropping from close to three down to probably closer to two. I still don't know if that gets him all the way there. You probably need to see like an extra half to one three-pointer. And then you're talking about a guy that's a bit more well-rounded and gets into those mid-rounds in nine-category leagues. You know me. I'm not a big advocate of punting on draft night. I far prefer to kind of figure out where the weaknesses lie at the end of a draft and then trade either into or away from those. And Giddy isn't a guy that we talked about. He's not, like, when you call him a punt player like I just did, it's not a thing where you where you remove that category and he magically moves himself up the board. It was really more about, like, how all the pieces fit together. Uh, so for me, I'm not into the Giddy at 60 thing. His pre-rank is uh, 62, but folks are excited about him. And I get it. He's still young, and we can still expect young guys to get better. But things are getting more crowded in Oklahoma City. They're going to be trying to win. Does that, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing for Giddy, but it is tougher to say, oh, well, here's where this extra usage is going to come from or here's where these gains are going to be made for him if it's not super obvious, and I don't think it is. I know it's only his third season in the NBA, so there's always room for guys to get better. His field goal percent jumped from 42 to 48 season over season. Uh, Three-point percentage actually got a little bit better. Free throw got a little bit better. So gains could still come in some of those categories. Uh, But he already played 31, 32 minutes per game a lot of the time. It's not like there's a whole lot more he can do from the minutes per game standpoint. So rebounds, assists, all that stuff, steals, blocks. Those don't feel like they're moving very much. So if you're looking for gains from Giddy, it's going to have to be in usage, which is probably shots. Maybe we should really narrow it down just call it shots. It's probably going to have to be shots, threes, and free throw percent. And that's how he can kind of inch his way forward on the board. But again, uh, to kind of put a bow on on these five players, uh, Maxi has that big upside in 9-cat. Lopez and Jared Allen have the much higher floor than guys like Boncaro and Giddy in 9-cat. Boncaro has the advantage of being the other scorer in that mix, but like Giddy, basically had the same number of points per game as Brooke Lopez last year. So it's like, oh, well, he's doing all this stuff on offense. Sort of a different path. And if you just sort of flip the page over and look at some of the next names out there, uh, Jalen Williams, who's going a couple slots later, was absolutely remarkable down the stretch last year. Remarkable. Jalen Williams is number 20, the final month and a half, two months which is not a huge sample size, but percentages were great. Steals were huge. He doesn't need more. He just needs to kind of maintain. I I don't think the free throw number stays at 89%. I doubt the field goal stays at 55. But there's room for a guy like Jalen Williams to actually fall back and remain a powerhouse in fantasy. And Cam Johnson, who's like, you know, his role in Brooklyn, he was number 55 down the stretch last year. That's a pretty repeatable number. I don't know there's a whole lot more for him to do, but you know, get that one. I know folks are hoping that Alperin Shengun takes another leap. I'm a probably pour a little bit of cold water on that one. Uh Shengun's gonna need to fix free throw percent. He's gonna need to fix turnovers, and he's badly going to need to fix his actual defensive IQ. Which and I I know he's like the most polarizing name in in fantasy sports. It's the craziest thing. He's very good on offense. But, first of all, he's not guaranteed a ton of usage on the offensive side. Down the stretch, Shengun over the final 25 games was number 120 in nine category leagues. Turnovers, free throws were a big part of that. Uh, But also, he's only at 13.5 points per game over that stretch. And I don't see his shot number skyrocketing in Houston this year. With Freddie Van Vliet coming in, he'll just sort of take the spot of Kevin Porter Jr. Uh when all of those guys were healthy, it would have really been hard for anybody to see a little bump. But now with KPJ out uh due to legal stuff and probably gonna get traded, then maybe you could like slice an extra half shot or a shot to some of these dudes. But for Shangun, if he's not in the right place on defense, he'll get yanked this year. He'll get yanked. I know everybody was like, oh, you know, Stephen Silas yanked him around. Shangun still averaged close to 30 minutes per game last season. There is not a ton more that he can do. And if you're like, oh, well, I guess he could get to like 31 minutes per game. To get to that point, he's going to have to stop someone on defense because they want to win this year. And Jock Landell is a much more capable backup center then the, like, Usman, Garuba, Bruno, Fernando contingent that they had backing him up and at, for a couple of games starting in front of him, which was just harebrained nonsense. But those guys were effectively backup centers and very, very not good at it. Now they've got a competent backup center. So if Sengu is missing assignments, it's going to be up and down. It's going to be rocky again. If he figured it out, if he fixed the defensive IQ stuff, then great. But it is worth pointing out that he was number 83 in 9-cat last year. And there's not really a whole lot more coming his way this season on offense. And that's where the gains are going to have to be made. 11 shots per game feels like it could get to 12. I think it'd be hard to get much beyond that when you're not the guy initiating when you're a recipient, t- technically, on the offensive side. Such is the life for centers that are not the initiators. I mean, that's just, like, that's the that's the era we are in right now. If you're a center that doesn't, that isn't, like, the focal point, it's very hard to get beyond about 13 shots per game. There are a handful of guys, obviously, that do it, but the number is not all that high. At least when you think about sort of, like, very large men, and Shengun is a very large man. He's a VLM, <laughs> a very large man. Uh, I kind of got ahead of myself there. We'll do a little more Shangun on, let's see, tomorrow? Yeah, we can do it. We can do tomorrow. We can go start at 61 and start plowing our way through some of these other centers, Alperin, Rudy, uh, and then some wings coming up after that, which are kind of interesting as well. I got a little bit deeper into this tease for tomorrow's show than I intended to. That, however, will do it for today's show. Uh, thank you to everybody that's uh, hanging out in the chat room. You guys have a pretty cool discussion going. I like it. That's great. Everybody's sort of helping each other, talking things through. Uh, good stuff. I am checking that out. And, in fact, um, no, you know, we'll leave it for here. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I am at Dan vespers over on the Twitters. Again, I say you pretty much do have to have an account over there for the basketball season. You'll fall too far behind. You'll, far, you'll fall way too far behind in things. The news just breaks too fast. So, again, that's at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. The last name is the harder part of that. Dan is the easier part. Go to Sports Ethos. Can you do that for me now? In fact, maybe I can do it for folks watching live. They can see the the Sports Ethos page pop up on their screen. Go check out Sports Ethos. Ethos 360 gets you all that stuff and the earliest ever Brewski 150 access that again coming up in exactly two weeks we'll get beyond number 60 on tomorrow's show uh we'll try to get into maybe the next actually we could do sleepers and busts of the of the 48 to or 49 to 60 range well one of the next two shows will be that and one'll we'll start to push our way beyond it again we're not going to get into the dan vespers late guys for another week or two because I really want to see uh kind of the players settle a little bit Again, seriously, please do get something over at Sports Ethos. It helps power the locomotive. Uh, Again, do follow on Twitter. Please like, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we will talk at you again. Maybe later today if I can get a mock going, but uh, stay tuned on that. So long for now.